1: in america wants gay marriage our kids are the product of public schools no wonder they poll the way they do
0: it's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have director
1: of governmental affairs for the american family association step up speak up say something do something
0: this isn't a game
3: this is real life Cindy rios is with the american family association a pro-life radio talk show host
1: some things are worth fighting for
4: so said in an interview with the 19th uh, news website this week that uh, the country needs a truth Commission what exactly would a truth commission be
5: so I think part of what we're seeing now is because we haven't really done the reckoning with the racial injustice and white supremacy of our past that we need to do and so you know a truth commission a lot of people will think of South Africa we've used them in countries around the world and basically what it is is it's a communities all the way up to the national level, having conversations about both the gory and the glory of our history and what happened, both throughout the history of our country and leading up to and on January 6th, so that we can come to a common narrative moving forward of what we want our country to be.
4: Do you think the House and Senate leadership have the stomach for that?
5: I think so. Look, we all were victims of this attack, in addition to being the lawmakers of this country. And I know for a lot of us, this is very personal. We've had threats to our lives, threats to our homes and our families. And so I think that there are a lot of us who know that this impeachment trial was just the start of holding Donald Trump accountable, but that we need to make sure that we're doing accountability of anyone who incited, encouraged or committed acts of violence. And then really looking forward at Kinds of things like truth commissions, like democracy, like institution building, that we know are going to be the real fixes to what we've seen
1: in this country.
4: Congressman, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Of oh, course, happy you know, to be here with you. How, what, a, what an interesting thing! I I always, when younger people were growing up and the girls would talk like that, like, you know, like I I I thought, you know, I laughed because I thought that's you know. Such a silly thing and a silly way to talk. And now those kids who think and talk that way are actually running for Congress. They are congresspersons. Sarah Jacobs is one of them. And she wants a truth commission to get to the bottom of what happened on January the 6th. Uh, people have to be held accountable because they were, those people in Washington, those congresspersons were all victims. Uh, I have to say that I, was, I read a very long uh, article about the New York Times and their deception on the police officer, Brian, Brian Sicklic, who allegedly the story was, because the New York Times told it, and they're the gold standard, of course, that he was hit with a fire extinguisher by Trump supporters in the Capitol. And guess what? That was not true. It never was true. The New York Times has waited weeks now to sort that out. And even in their clarification, it's very vague. That is an absolute lie, and yet anchors, news people, the the article I read was very long because it contained all of the sightings of all the news talking about this police officer who was killed being bludgeoned by a fire, fire extinguisher by Trump supporters inside the Capitol January 6th. There were deaths. It was an armed resistance. The trouble was no one has any record of anyone inside the Capitol having a weapon. Oh, not deadly, like a fire iron. Arm that they used. The only person that was killed was a Trump supporter by a person in the Capitol, and that's a mystery. We don't know. So, truth commission. You know, a truth commission might be a nice idea, but I'm telling you, they're talking about like a Soviet truth commission, where you come before the commission, you come before uh, the uh, the arbitrators of your fate. Uh, They want you to come to Washington and be heard. And, of course, they want to get to the bottom of the truth. Well, the truth does not dwell in these people. Ron Johnson was on a radio, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, was on a radio show a couple of days ago. And uh, he basically addressed this. And he said, Uh... Trump is not, this is, uh, first of all, Senator Graham said this, Trump is not singularly to blame for January 6th. Democrats have sat on the sidelines and watched the country being burned down for a year and a half if not, and not said a blank word. And most Republicans are tired of the hypocrisy. So Johnson went on to agree with that and said that the Democrats' characterization of the Capitol breach as an armed insurrection just dripping with hostility. The group of people who have supported Trump, The hundreds of thousands of people that attended those Trump rallies, those are people that love this country. They never would have done what happened on January 6th. That's a great group of people we need to unify and keep on our side. And he goes on to say that this was not an insurrection. It was not an armed insurrection. And he goes into great detail about how to explain that. He said, that's not what I saw. I watched the, the video. I didn't see pe- I saw people like taking pictures, wandering through the halls. He said, it wasn't until I saw the video that I realized that some people inside were doing some terrible things, but that was not what I saw of the people. I was not afraid. It was not the, the situation that they are describing. Well, Brian Williams uh, on ABC, I believe he's on ABC now, he used to be, uh, responded to Ron Johnson's comments and... NBC now. Okay, so Brian uh, Williams responded to Ron Johnson's comments on that radio interview. And speaking of truth, this is what he said.
0: One of the 43 Republican senators who acquitted Trump gave this extraordinary interpretation of the events of 1-6 during a radio interview just this morning.
6: The fact of the matter is, this didn't seem like an armed insurrection to me. If that was an, a, a planned armed insurrection, man, you, you're really a bunch of idiots. I'm sitting back in my office watching video of the of the uh, armed insurrectionists staying within the lines inside the Capitol. And I'm seeing a bunch of people milling about. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it wasn't until I really saw the video in the trial that you, you really saw, the, you know, what, what was happening and and how officers got got uh, injured.
0: Unbelievable explanation from Ron Johnson, which we've had translated from the original Russian, of course.
1: We've had translated from the original Russian. Ron Johnson was, of course, reading his Russian, you know, talking points. That's Brian on a national network, NBC. That's what he says of uh, uh, Senator Johnson from Wisconsin. Okay, so that's uh, the truth that, of course, the media wants this truth commission because they're all about truth, aren't they? So last night, Joe Biden had a town hall. And in that town hall, he claimed that there was no vaccine when he came into the White House. And there was an interesting back and forth between Shannon Bream and Charlie Kirk. I want you to hear it. It's clip eight. Let's listen.
5: What do you make of uh, the president's statement that they didn't have the vaccine when he took office?
2: Yeah, it's just completely and pathologically untrue. A White House official the former uh, Trump administration, they said they were doing about 1.1 million vaccinations a day leading right into Joe Biden being sworn into office. It was President Donald Trump that was mocked, ridiculed and made fun of by every single person in mainstream media when he said that we would have a vaccine by October, November. He was right. And in fact, the announcement came right after the election, if you might remember. And then Operation Warp Speed, which was, again, considered to be a near impossible delivered a vaccine ahead of schedule. President Trump promised it by Christmas. It was actually delivered before then. And so Joe Biden is trying to rewrite history, and it's incredibly irresponsible. Joe Biden says he wants to unify the country. We now know that was nothing more than baseless words. If he wanted to unify the country, you know what he'd say? He'd say, you know... The guy that I uh, took office after and the person that I ran a whole campaign against, I had plenty of complaints. But I want to say thank you to the hard work for everyone in the administration prior to get the vaccine done. Instead, he makes this outrageous claim. It's insulting to all the people that worked those tireless nights in the White House, that worked in the private sector and otherwise to get the vaccine done. He's trying to take credit for something he had nothing to do with. I think it's reprehensible. Mm
1: Yeah, so that was Charlie Kirk of uh, Turning Point USA. And uh, the Federalist, the staff of the Federalist, just actually posted an article called uh, Here's the Full List of Every Lie Joe Biden Has Told as President. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a counter because they said that President Trump was such a liar and they had what he said. They said they were counting. They'd, he'd told, what, 6,000 lies. Uh, I found President Trump to sometimes be wrong in details and numbers or give, you know, overall generalizations. But the honest thing was that he told the truth, and that's why they hated him. Uh, Joe Biden is not like that. And yet uh, the media sees it very differently because Tucker Carlson did a great monologue last night, about 11 minutes, so we can't play it. But he was making the case that uh, the, the news media, is they're really professional liars. And he said, you have to admire the way they lie. Imagine if you were paid every day to go into work to figure out somehow— to cover up what was true by telling lies. What was that? What if that was your job? Because that is what they do every day. And he said it's just kind of amazing. And he gave an example of it after Joe Biden was uh, around the inauguration. He played a montage of media uh, talking about how um, Joe Biden, who of course uh, his whole his whole life, you know, his whole political life is is just scattered with lies that he told from plagiarism to lies on the campaign trail. Anyone that's ever followed Joe Biden knows this. And yet this is how it was presented. This is actually a montage by the CNN political director. Uh, Is At least the last statement you'll hear is, and this is clip 12.
0: President Joe Biden making it clear his administration will be nothing like his predecessors with a focus on truth, science and transparency.
1: A commitment to clarity, transparency, science and truth. A return to normalcy as the Biden administration
7: vows truth and transparency now.
1: As the Biden White House vows transparency and truth when sharing information with the American people, what does that mean? We're going to talk about it. As this White House promises to bring truth and science back to the White House. is getting back to the truth and uh, valuing the truth. Yes, and so then I thought there was a montage on there. I thought the end of that was going to be this waxing eloquent by the CNN political director of how the lights by the uh, reflecting pool look like Joe Biden's outstretched arms to America as he, you know, restores truth, you know, uh what in the American way. He didn't say that, but that's it's it's really just ridiculous hyperbola and just not true, but they are masters at it, and that was what Tucker's monologue was all about. I hope you have a chance to listen to it. There are several pieces of news that are not related necessarily that I want to tell you about because they're all important, and they kind of are follow-ups to things we've been covering. One thing about Joe Biden, before I move on to these other stories, is that he has um, now reinstituted uh, Barack Obama's practice, and Hillary Clinton's too, of withholding aid to foreign countries if they do not—now, uh, uh, this is not the language of this, but this is what it means, because I saw it happen in the past, that they had to legalize uh, gay marriage, transgender rights, they had to protect people in their countries, and if they didn't do it, they wouldn't get aid. So they have issued this statement about what's going to happen in Africa, and it's not being—they're It's they're not taking it well. Uh, they're basically saying that you have to you know, give transgender, queer, intersex people all these rights. And they're responding uh, to this uh, in, you know, very powerfully, which they have done before. I have to tell you, when I was at CWA, when it came to—we pushed—we didn't. The United States did, under uh, Hillary Clinton, pushed abortion on these countries, and they were not having it. The Honorable Shirley Ayorkor bachwe who's Ghana's minister-designate for foreign affairs and regional integration, responded that Ghana— will not comply with these new guidelines. Ghana is a sovereign country. But as part of our foreign policy, we engage countries all over the world. America is one of our strongest friends. But in this country, we have laws, and our laws work and must work. So in spite of what somebody will say, and in this case, President Biden, the laws of Ghana criminalize unlawful, carnal knowledge. And therefore, the laws of Ghana definitely are supreme, and that is what we will adhere to— And it goes on and on that that, that, uh, Lade Peter Thompson, who is a Lagos-based special advisor to the Christian Association of Nigeria, said, It's a fact that the global resurgence of terrorism is tearing Africa apart. There is a dark cloud on the horizon, and the meltdown of Africa's most populous nation is a specter that no one wants to imagine. The Biden administration, however, holds forth as the flagship of its policy toward African nations the threat of financial muscle to promote the LGBTI community in Africa. President Biden would do humankind a great favor by globalizing the American dream, of which the essence is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Africans love that. But one thing Africans don't want is the American nightmare, where the rights go rogue and the rights are wrong. So... God bless the continent of Africa. Boy, they helped sort out the uh, uh, oh, one of the church denominations, uh, the Episcopal Church. Uh, they stood strong 20 years ago against what was happening in the Episcopal Church, and that's why the Episcopal Church in America withdrew from the, their leadership here in America and actually came under the leadership of African leaders. So they've held steadfast because so many of them have come to Christ Uh, And isn't that something? Isn't it something? All right, stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
4: While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her I said, are you scared? And she said, "A, a little bit, but I've been through worse.
0: The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger.
4: And then as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of her cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone. That's the only place we can run to where there is certainty.
0: To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand.
1: This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today,
0: we pray for Glenda Owens, Deputy Director of the Office of Surface Mining Reclamation and Enforcement. Her office works with 24 coal producing states to ensure coal mining and reclamation activities are conducted in a manner that is environmentally sound. Psalm 24 reminds us of the importance of caring for our environment. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Glenda Owens as she works to protect our environment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Join us as we pray for God's guidance for the President and his administration. It's the 100 Days of Prayer. Details at pausetopray.org.
3: Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next.
7: Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595.
3: Roland and Gloria Scarsini may very well have a love story for the ages. They met on a bus in Philadelphia Gloria was counting change to pay the conductor when the bus lurched, sending her directly into the arms of Roland. She was the prettiest girl he'd ever seen. Well, it wasn't too long before they were dancing the Jitterbug on 69th Street. Their love affair briefly interrupted by a world war. Roland, a Marine, served in the South Pacific. Eventually, they married, and 73 years later, the love affair continues, along with two kids and two grandkids. They say the secret to a long and happy life together is pretty simple. Embrace the things you have in common and go to bed every night at the same time. And then there's the music. Roland plays the harmonica. It's the soundtrack of their lives. Be sure to download my free podcast. Read about this story on
0: Toddstarns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio.
7: President Biden hitting the road for his first official trip as president to try to sell his $1.9 trillion relief plan straight to the American people. That's the focus of this trip, Um, obviously, choice. The vast majority of the public supports it, including the vast majority of most members' constituents. Today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki announced some relief for struggling homeowners, an extension of a Trump administration order blocking foreclosures and offering delayed mortgage payments through the end of June. But the Biden administration continues to be far less complimentary when it comes to the vaccine distribution program that it inherited. There was no national strategy or plan for vaccinations. We were leaving it to the states and local leaders to try and figure it out. And so, in many ways, we're com- we're starting from scratch. The vice president's assessment seemed to contradict what Dr. Anthony Fauci said the day after inauguration. We certainly are not starting from scratch. But today, Dr. Fauci defended the vice president's remark.
4: What I think the vice president is referring to is that the actual plan of getting the vaccine doses into people's arms was really rather vague. I mean, it it was not a well-coordinated plan. Getting the vaccines made, getting them shipped through Operation Warp Speed was okay.
7: The former White House communications director in the Trump administration
5: calls the vice president's statement flat out false. Not only did we have a vaccine plan in place, We put the Biden administration on track to be able to meet their own goal of 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. Another goal is to get this
7: relief plan passed by mid-March. So far, it is no Republican support on Capitol Hill. And Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell believes it is precisely that kind of opposition that could, quote, help unify our party after a divisive impeachment trial, adding to The Wall Street Journal, I don't think many Republicans are going to be for very many of the things that are coming out of this administration. Moments ago, as President Biden was leaving the White House for Wisconsin, he was asked about that comment from McConnell. The president replied that opposing his agenda, quote, may unify Republicans, but it will hurt America badly.
1: All right. That was Kristen Fisher from Fox last night. There is some humor in that. Believe it or not, there's some humor in that because Uh, On the issue, we've already talked about this, actually, of Joe Biden saying there was no vaccine when he came into office. Uh, You heard Charlie Kirk last night, I played that clip, respond to what nonsense that is. But on another another interview, uh, Larry Kudlow was being interviewed by a couple of Fox anchors, and they moved on to another topic, but he was still sitting at the desk with them, obviously, and they didn't They must not have had his mic turned down or he decided not to be quiet because they played that clip of Kamala Harris saying they didn't do anything. They didn't lay the groundwork for distributing the vaccine. And Larry Kudlow starts, uh, uh, he shares some choice words that I couldn't play for you, but it was actually very funny. He was off mic and uh, the anchor had to step in and say, well, that's a few words from Larry Kudlow in response to that. The other part of it that made me laugh was um, Anthony Fauci you know, flipping, changing his mind in one single, like, moment, he's all over the map, and that is becoming amusing, however dangerous it might be. All right, well, this bill that we're talking about, COVID relief, is, uh, you know, going to be the focus of attention in Congress. And really, no one knows more about what's happening in Congress, from my perspective, than Tommy Binion. Tommy has been on Capitol Hill for a number of years. I've known him for a long time. Uh, And he is now the Director of Government Relations at heritage foundation and he joins us this morning tommy thanks for joining us good morning Sandy. it's great to be back with you how you doing i'm doing i'm doing good in spite of everything tommy i'm doing well hey let me ask you just some some uh, background questions before we get into what's being talked about in congress how would you describe the atmosphere in congress right now given all that's happening
6: uh it is as polarized and partisan as it's ever been um you know, there is a, uh, there is a closing of ranks. There is, uh, there, there is a partisanship that just really touches everything. Um, you know, even the things that should be no brainer, uh, uniting, you you know, you just went through vaccine distribution. All of us want vaccine distribution to work. Um, but it seems to be, uh, you know, it, it is, it is as divisive as any other policy issue, even though we all agree what should happen. Um, it's, uh, that's not a good place to be as much as um partisanship uh, is uh, has been around for quite some time and and you know debate and deliberation and, and even you know adversarial uh attitudes are part of our system uh, it is um it, it, it's, it is the number one feature of our debate and deliberation right now and i think that's a bad thing to tell you the truth
1: I did too, Tommy, and I would say, but from my perspective, it's certainly it's moved beyond partisanship to rancor, uh, just to vitriol. You know, I see like uh, Nancy Pelosi punishing Republican members for not, you know, going through metal detectors, making life miserable for Republican conservatives, accusing them of uh, being a danger to the Congress. I mean, that what could be more hostile than that?
6: You're you're right. Um, Even in their day-to-day lives. Um, you know they have to go through metal detectors now, which they have never had to do, to get to the floor of the house where they cast votes on these uh, on on these really important pieces of legislation. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez accused Ted Cruz of trying to have her murdered uh, for for sticking up for election integrity and and wanting the Congress to have a debate about um, the counting of the electors. You know that kind of thing. We we know that that is outrageously exaggerated but for that to be um you know the attitude that uh that democrats are, are, are putting on public display which is that republicans are the enemies within it's dangerous um and i think it's debilitating for our nation
1: yeah the other thing too is just the practical uh, because i know so many of you who are working on the capitol hill just the practical matter of getting in and out that horrendous wall you know jack posebiak just posebiak uh, just uh, tweeted something out—a picture—and you've probably seen this, Tommy. Uh, pictures that are peering around D.C. saying, "Give us back our, give us back our backyard, our playgrounds, walking path, dog park, community, bicycling plaza, uh, um, sledding zone, visitors' pride, streets, library, national park, jogging path, gathering place. Give us back our city, Congress. Open the gates. Take down this wall. Have you seen those, Tommy?"
6: I have I have seen there are signs everywhere. Uh throughout the neighborhood of Capitol Hill. You can't go anywhere with seeing them. There are there are a powerful message. Um but you know, the Washington DC is a beautiful city. And the mm, Capitol used to is be. a beautiful it used to be that's right. The Capitol used to be a beautiful symbol of democracy. And there freedom. is a different symbol that is being sent right now. Um it is uh it is the kind of fence you would see um, you know, at a, at outside a military base in a war zone um, and it is completely unnecessary um, and it, it has a tremendous downside, which is the symbol that it sends all of us not to mention it's impractical not to mention uh, that you know, the, they can't do the people's work uh, you can't visit the Capitol you can't, uh, you can't drive through most of the streets that you used to be able to drive through. Um, it is extraordinarily unpleasant, but it's part of this message that, that there is something to fear from our fellow Americans, that, 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 there, that there are enemies within, that to disagree with liberal orthodoxy and the progressive policy agenda makes you a dangerous enemy. Um, that, at the end of the day, is going to be the worst effect of this because I, I, think, I think that's going to stick around um, and it is going to turn us its fault. And it's going to turn us against one another.
1: Oh, I think so, and of course, that is the that is the point with leftists. But I, I want to say one more thing, Tommy, before I ask you about legislation. Uh, I was uh, well; I was very young when the Berlin Wall was built. But later, uh, I moved to Berlin and I lived there during the time of the Cold War, uh, when the wall was very much in place and people were actually dying, uh, and you know, desperate to get out and over that wall. It went up like overnight. And it separated families. It changed everything. And there was such tension, of course, in the city. I lived there. We couldn't get out. We were surrounded by this wall. The only way you could get out was to fly out. Uh, It's very oppressive to live that way. And it just looks horrendous. And that's why people were so thrilled when they dug their bare hands into that wall and started taking apart piece by piece, you know, 25 something like that years later. It is a dreadful symbol and not the, the one that the land of the free and the home of the brave wants surrounding their beautiful capital, as you so eloquently said, Tommy. All right. So, um, so then they have to do business inside that chamber, those chambers, and that's what we want to talk about. I want to talk to you. I, I'm assuming that this COVID bill is the first thing that's going to be uh, deliberated. Is that right?
6: That's right. They're working on it now. It will be on the floor of the House of Representatives next week. It is, uh, it is, uh, is, being constructed right now in the committees. Um, this is, this is, you know, the very first piece of legislation that Joe Biden is going to attempt to put his presidential muscle behind. Um, and uh, you know, one of the one of the starkest uh, things that has happened throughout the development of this legislation is a conscious choice was made by President Biden. Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer, uh, to make this a partisan bill. Uh, They made that conscious choice about two and a half weeks ago. They decided to make this a reconciliation package, and that was a a message to everybody involved. This is a partisan bill. This is for Democrats to do. We do not want, we are not seeking Republican votes. We will not make compromises. We will only put in what Democrats like. We will stretch the bounds. We will break the Senate rules to do this. Uh, But this is a Democratic package. It's a huge risk. Uh, It's going to be bad policy, but I'm not, you know, it it is even harder to get legislation done in that way. Um, And that is the choice that they have made, and we're going to end up, because of it, with policies like a $15 minimum wage and $170 billion to reopen schools that won't be spent until two years or three years or four years from now. It's a disastrous piece of legislation, Um, and they made it so. When they wanted to make it a Democrat only bill.
1: So it's a $1.9 trillion cost. And as all, you know, the the Democrats always, as you know, Tommy, uh, in their legislation, which have these nice flowery names, they always make sure that their people, their allies, get money that aren't even related to this particular cause. The people think they're getting relief from COVID. People that we're talking to right now are suffering, Tommy. I mean, their businesses have gone out. They've, they're, probably their unemployment has gone out. They're, a lot of them are just desperate. They really are. So they, they, they're looking for some relief. So they hear that name, the COVID relief bill, and they're, they're so thankful. But what, what are they actually getting and what is actually going to, what substantial sums are going to completely unrelated uh, projects and people? Yeah. uh,
6: You know, um, some of the biggest pots of money, uh, one of the biggest pots of money I just want to get out of the way right away is is, uh, direct stimulus checks, $1,400 checks direct from the government to the people. Uh, That is a a piece of policy that I can see why people are are waiting with anticipation for that. But I think it's, you know, I I think it is destructive and and precedent set it. Uh, And we may end up with a system uh, where direct stimulus payments are, are going quite often with regularity to people. Um, and, and, and that isn't the American system. That isn't the system of free enterprise and personal responsibility that built this country, that made this great. That is, that is the kind of support that they get in socialist countries in Europe. But moving on from that, one of the biggest pots of money in this bill is for schools. And uh, I've got kids that are school age. My oldest is going to go to kindergarten in the fall. Uh, we live in Fairfax County. I don't, I'm, I don't have any confidence that Fairfax County is going to be full-time open uh, by the fall. And so you would hope that federal money uh, that is going to that is going to help that. Well, guess what? They're going to spend $170 billion on schools. that's not going to be spent this year. It has nothing to do with reopening schools, which we so desperately need in this country. What it has to do with is expanding the federal footprint uh, in the public education space. Uh, we're going to spend tens of billions of dollars at the federal level Tinkering with local schools that we have never spent before—that is a terrible development for public education in this country, uh, and that is a that is a major feature of this bill. I mentioned the minimum wage. There's some money in there for vaccine distribution, but like your point, Sandy, you can't spend 1.9 trillion dollars on direct and immediate COVID relief. This is this is just a this is just a dump truck full of cash that they are going to dump out on Democrat constituencies like the teachers' unions, and it's, it's concerning.
1: Yes, and let me just add one more thing before we move to—well, uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, the other part of this that, we, that kind of we're inferring but we're not saying, there is a limit to what this government can spend. I mean, we are already on the brink of disaster with our debt. And the point is, for regular people, need to hear that that money may, may be a welcome relief, but it won't go very far for anyone. And it, it we are in danger of bankrupting our country, so that we uh, social security fails, uh, Medicare fails, all the subsistence, the federal assistance that everybody seems to get. Half of the American people, at least, uh, depend on government checks. Uh, that will be. Uh, if not destroyed, it will be eroded because we won't be able to pay, and that's the reality. And that's why it, you can't be excited about getting free money from the government because, like Margaret Thatcher says, the problem with socialism is that you finally run out of other people's money, and that's why so many socialist systems are falling apart. Oh, Tommy, can you stay with me another segment? Sure, happy to. Okay, okay, because I want to talk about uh, the the Voting Bill, HR1, SR1, the For the People Act of course, and gun control and all the things that they have in mind, where they are with uh, making Puerto Rico a state, and just your read on other things perhaps that we are we don't even know about, what they are planning uh, to force through on the American people. This is Sandy Rios. My guest is Tommy Binion. He's the Vice President of Governmental Relations for um, Heritage Foundation, and we'll be right back right after this. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
3: What would you do?
5: Aunt Sadie, I appreciate your thought behind the gift card, but I just can't take it. I promise not to shop at Target because they allow men in areas that need to be private and protected for women and children. I hope you'll go to afa.net slash Target and learn about it. I'm not giving them my money.
2: Aunt Sadie didn't know about AFA's call to boycott Target, but she knows now, and so do you. Learn even more at afa.net slash Target, afa.net slash Target.
5: AFA X. Repairing the the foundation.
2: Announcing
0: AFA.net/slash/connect. One News Now. It's the one click that will link you to so many AFA platforms. Pick and choose which updates you want to receive. Easily subscribe or unsubscribe. American
1: Family Studio. And to
0: quote our privacy policy, American Family Association will not sell, rent, or lease your personal information to outside organizations.
6: AFA Journal.
0: Make a better connection with AFA at AFA.net/slash/connect. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of
6: Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Jeremiah descended from a priestly lineage in Judah. He grew up in Anathoth, about two to four miles northeast of Jerusalem, where the temple was located. He began ministering prophetically about 627 B.C. during the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. This is about five years before Josiah began Judah's spiritual reformation. It is very likely that Josiah's reformation was influenced by Jeremiah's preaching.
0: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Ryan Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Not all anger is bad. Some things ought to make us angry, but we must not allow that anger to turn into sin by carrying our anger over even to the next day. We do that by forgiving the person who angered us before we go to sleep. Forgiveness is a decision, not an emotion. Forgiveness is the choice to release people from their debt to us and hand them over to God for discipline. Then we must refuse to bring up past offenses to hurt somebody or score points in an argument. If we don't forgive, then we give a place to the devil to work in our lives. But if we do choose to forgive, we'll discover that the anger and hate will slowly dissipate as we walk out our forgiveness. And that's the path of both life and liberty. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio.
4: This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. I host a television program called Securing America that's a kind of owner's manual for protecting the country we love. Its first instruction is don't let radical leftists enact legislation that crushes freedom. One such bill is being fast tracked by Congressional Democrats. They misleadingly call it the For the People Act, but it's better known as H.R. 1. If you liked how the 2020 elections were conducted, you'll love this legislation because it will ensure that from now on, basically every American election, everywhere, will be run the same way. If instead you want free and fair elections that respect and uphold our Constitution rather than impose a one party state that shreds it, let your representatives in Washington know how you feel about H.R. 1 before they vote on it next week a handful of vulnerable democrats will decide its fate and ours this is frank gaffney
0: sandy rios in the morning on american family radio
1: All right, Sandy Rios back with you, and my guest is Tommy Binion from the Heritage Foundation. I never heard Frank tee up my next subject so beautifully uh, because I wanted to talk to you uh, about—Tommy, I want to talk to you about HR1, SR1, for the people, and uh, that's what it's called. It's for the people. It's for you, of course, the fact that they want to federalize voting and, you know, legalize uh, not asking for your signature and mail-in balloting, balloting, more, more, more of that and everything else in between, more of what we had— and 2020 is what they're trying to legalize. We've had many discussions on that. But now, Tommy, I want to know, I read this morning that there are about 14 Democrats in red districts in the House who are kind of being quiet about how they feel about this bill. What do you know about that? And is, is that true from your perspective that there might be some hesitation?
6: Absolutely. Um, you know, election integrity has gone from an issue that people cared about but uh... didn't spend much time thinking about and investing their time in and advocating for uh... with their members of congress to their number one priority issue they uh, are devastated by the fact that we don't have election results we can trust in the united states of america we can never have another election like twenty twenty and uh conservatives. Grassroots activists are activated by this fact, and they want to make sure that it never happens. And so, yes, if you are one of those 14 Democrats in red districts, if you are a Democrat hoping to get elected as a moderate, you can't vote for this um, outrageous legislation that would federalize elections, that would make all election policy made here in Washington, D.C., and controlled by what do we have? We have a Democrat majority in this House and a Democrat majority in the Senate and a Democrat in the White House. Uh, we can't have uh, election policy being made uh, in that context. And so I-, I think people are really activated by this issue, and that's why. On the other hand, that doesn't make it non-threatening. Um, you know, uh, party unity is, uh, is um, very yeah, strong on the Democratic strong, side. Absolutely. And, and, and Nancy Pelosi can, can, um, can crack that whip and make sure that uh, her members vote on this priority legislation. The fact that it's called H.R. 1 means it's her number one priority. So uh, it, it, it's time to wake up and pay attention to this.
1: Tommy, after all the dust has settled, as I can recall, there were like 10. The Democrats held the House by 10 seats, but there was another uh, race in New York, that was that the Republican w- finally prevailed. And that's the one I know about. What is the final count? Do you know, I mean, the difference between the, the numbers of Democrats and Republicans in the House?
6: Um, I, I, I don't want to say for sure because I don't want to be wrong. Um, let me uh, let me get back to you with that with the answer. OK, to that question.
1: OK. Well, I, you know, I just uh, it's just that there were 10 for a long time. They kept saying 10 and then now there must be nine. I don't know. Ah, uh, so that's not much. And if uh, if do you, I mean, so I, I'm gonna ask you again one more time before we move from this. You actually think it's realistically, or at least possible, that enough Democrats could be afraid to vote for this bill that it could be stopped?
4: Yes,
6: I think that is definitely possible. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not predicting right now that that is uh, the most likely outcome, but it is certainly uh, it is certainly one worth working towards. Um, okay.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, there's so many pieces of legislation we could discuss. So I'm going to ask you what you think the next specter on the horizon is in terms of subjects.
6: Well, we're going to go from COVID relief next week straight into H.R. 1, and and that is in the House. Um, And then the next subject is going to be gun control. Um, Mm -hmm. President Biden has made promises that he will address gun control in the first 100 days of his presidency. Um, He used um, Sunday, the the, uh, three-year anniversary of a tragic shooting in a high school in Florida, um, to say that this was a priority of his administration, that he'll be looking for an assault weapons ban. Um, And, you know, we we know how to read that. The the, uh, gun control legislation that Democrats have always wanted to pass and that they have worked towards for two decades or more um, is devastating to our Second Amendment rights. Um, it is devastating to uh, law-abiding, gun-owning American citizens. Um, and you know, therefore, you know, it's devastating to our constitutional way of life. And um, that, that'll that be the next subject.
1: Hit hey, me. I want to ask you before we go, I want to switch to the Senate for a second. Because, you know, everybody's saying all eyes are on Joe Manchin and he's our hope, you know, because he's the conservative, I use again quotations, a Democrat. And I have watched him for decades now. I have never seen Joe ba- Now, so I'm going to, this is a question, but a statement. I personally have never seen Joe Manchin come over to the side of the Republicans help and help them out when he was the swing vote. I've seen him vote on the side of the Republicans or conservatives when he could save his own bacon and they had provided votes elsewhere so that it wasn't the only vote. But now they're, you know, he on gun control, on the, uh, on the, the regulation of oil and gas, uh, the pipeline, all of that, you know, he's under a lot of pressure in West Virginia. Do you honestly think Joe Manchin is going to depart from his party and vote against some of these bills that will affect his state?
6: You would hope so. You would hope that uh, somebody who represents West Virginia, somebody whose constituents, hundreds of thousands of jobs, are on the line in the energy sector, uh, someone who has pledged to support those, uh, you would hope that he would put those people that voted for him ahead of his party loyalty. Uh, one thing's for sure, and you sort of alluded to that: he would. He is desperate to avoid those votes. He is desperate from having to make, you know, to avoid having to make that choice he doesn't want to be the swing vote that everybody is watching he wants to fly under the radar and try to avoid those as he always has i'm not sure right but it's 50 50 um and uh those opportunities for him to be the swing vote are going to come at a weekly clip for the next two years and he won't be able to avoid it the whole time and so we're going to find out uh this is these these would probably be the defining two years of his career and we're going to find out and nobody should be afraid Uh, to to make their voices heard to Senator Manchin and, and encourage them to do the right thing.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting, and I'm sorry, but I see humor in so many things that shouldn't be funny. This is really funny. This is a guy who's tried to, you know, be Mr. Nice Guy while he's doing all these horrible votes and working behind the scenes to do everything the Democrats want. And now he's really, as you just said, He is on the hot seat on every single vote because it's so close. And he's the only person that they speculate might not vote with the Democrats. And now he has nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. I actually just love it, Tommy. I find some humor in that. Tommy, listen, it's always great to talk to you. And uh, let me just say Heritage, of course, is uh, an incredible organization that I have been privileged to be close to and work with for decades, really. And Tommy has done a great job as the Director of Government Relations. So, Tommy, thanks for joining me this morning, and we'll talk to you soon, okay?
6: Thank you, Sandy.
1: The score in the House is 221 to 211. You were right with 10. The reason
6: it's not closer is, sadly, uh, a member of the Republican Conference died last week, uh, Ron Wright, and, and he oh. was a great man, but that, that's why it's not any closer than 10 for now.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay, okay. Thank you, Tommy. I'll talk you to you bet. soon. Th- thank you so I'll much. Okay. You. Okay. okay, bye-bye. All right, so I wanted to, there's several other issues that I want to tell you about this morning and uh, in the minutes that I have left, okay? And they're important. I I started down this path earlier in the show, but I want to go back to it. Um, We found out just yesterday, this is an article from the Daily Caller. I've told you a great deal. We've talked about this often about John Sullivan, who was a uh, uh, radical leftist activist who uh, is you know, been inciting revolution for some time. In fact, he is from Utah, and he is—this up. is one of those stories that has really tiny print. So have patience with me for a second. He is already uh, under uh, charges in Utah uh, uh, for—here we go. He faces federal charges in Utah stemming from an incident in June—on June of 2020— in which a person was shot and injured during a protest against police brutal- brutality. He's charged with rioting and other kinds of things. Uh, he is also on tape. I played the tape for you telling people to, uh, you know, to revolt against the government. So John, you know, he just happened to be in the Capitol on January 6th. You know, you know nothing, he wasn't doing anything, except the problem is that John has been charged with his... Um, whatever they think he did inside the Capitol, and I, don't, I think it was worse than what he's been charged with. And his trial has started, so his attorneys now, uh, he's 26 years old, has, has a, by way of defending him, has said he was there just doing journalism. He was just there to cover it. This is his livelihood. They had nothing to see here. He was just there, and now they said, by way of making that point, that CNN and NBC both paid John Sullivan $35,000 for his shooting, his uh, let's see, capturing uh, the photo footage of Ashley Babbitt when she was shot. Do you remember that graphic footage? That was that was John Sullivan. He was just there as a journalist. Uh, he captured that, and he was paid this amount of money, thirty-five thousand, from CNN and NBC for his footage. That proves, you see, he was just there as a journalist. Now the problem is. They also played in the video, uh, this is, I've played you some of the audio from his video because other outlets have made this public, and in this audio where he's in the building on January 6th, before he took this, you know, lovely photo of Ashley Babbitt and video being shot, it's horrendous. It really is horrendous. Uh, The video also uh, captures Sullivan going inside the Capitol, and he's with that NPR, uh, sometimes freelance photographer who works for... In PR, sometimes we don't know why he was there that day, can't imagine. Uh, but uh, the video that John shot has lots of audio on it. And so in, while he's inside, on the video that the attorneys played to defend him, he calls for burning down the building and is egging others on who had broken into the building. And this is what he actually says. We accomplished this blank. We did this together. Blank, yeah. We are all part of history. He said on that video cited by prosecutors, let's burn this blank down. So that's John Sullivan, who CNN and NBC both paid $35,000 for his his footage because they wanted to see what that looked like, and he was there just, of course, as a journalist. I just thought that you'd want to know about that. Also in um, Georgia, Fulton County Election Board uh, has just fired their elections chief, Rick Barron, after what happened in the election, and they say... Quote, issues cited were his handling of the 2020 elections, firing of um, whistleblowers, Bridget Thorne and Susie Voiles, and testifying in Georgia fraud hearings. Uh, They testified in Georgia fraud hearings, and he fired them. And so he's been fired. And that's interesting. That's Fulton County. That's the biggest county where a lot of the problems originated from. Also, um, if I got time to do this, I'm going to try to get this in. This is actually very interesting On COVID, which I often talk to you about, Uh, Daniel Horowitz has a really great article. You know that Ron DeSantis uh, really, uh, let's say, got his back up about Joe Biden threatening to not let people travel out of Florida. And he had a lot to say about it, and some of them were stats. So uh, Daniel Daniel Horowitz of Conservative Review has written uh, some things adding to this. And he said, with no declared emergency restrictions in place at the state level since last September— The fact that Florida is doing better than the national average completely exposes the lie of the lockdown and masks having any effect whatsoever on the fixed natural progression of the virus. Dr. Fauci is suggesting a novel scientific principle that schools can't reopen until Congress passes yet another stimulus bill. Yet in Florida, schools have been open all year and the state's excess deaths for 2020 ranked 16th lowest in the nation. What's more, the Sunshine State, which is regarded as God's waiting room for seniors, experienced the 11th lowest per capita rate of excess death increase for seniors in 2020. In a new analysis conducted by rationalground.com, they collated CDC excess death data for 49 states. It didn't include North Carolina because their data was not clear. And they noticed that uh, they tracked the states from largest to the largest increase in excess deaths from 2019 to 2020. There's absolutely zero correlation between non-pharmaceutical interventions like business and school closures or masks mandates and the lower rate of excess deaths. He has a lot more to say about these things, but it is a powerful documentation. Daniel is, uh, he's just the best. I haven't had him on in such a long time, but he's a good friend. He does great writing, great research. He's very impassioned, and we'll put this on our Facebook page, of course, (laughs) for five minutes. With no mask mandate and schools open, Florida ranks 11th lowest in excess deaths among seniors. You can find it at Blaze Media on your own, but we'll put it on our Facebook page for the moment that it can be there. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast